Hi, and welcome to The Intersect. I'm Eric Tischler. Apt Associates tackles complex challenges around the world, ranging from improving health and education to assessing the impact of environmental changes. For any given problem, we bring multiple perspectives to the table. We thought it would be enlightening and maybe even fun to pair colleagues from different disciplines so they can share their ideas and perhaps spark new thinking about how we solve these challenges. Today, I'm joined by two of those colleagues, Dana Kenny and Tiernan Menon. Dana is a climate change and energy expert with more than 30 years of experience, including 16 years in developing countries. She's chief of party of the USAID Clean Power Asia program, which is focused on scaling up investment in grid-connected renewable energy. As APP's vice president for governance, Tiernan Menon is focused on supporting participatory governance processes that empower citizens and on promoting accountability and transparency across sectors. He has more than 15 years of experience in international development in more than 40 countries. Thank you both for joining me. Thank you. Happy to be here. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. So, Dana, as someone who's establishing energy in countries that are maybe working on decentralization, what kind of challenges are you coming across? That's a really good place to start. Uh, I did uh, work in one or two countries where decentralization overlapped with the reform in the energy sector. One in particular I can mention. Uh, Indonesia was going through decentralization at the same time uh, they were struggling with what laws and policies they wanted at the national level for both gas and electric. One of the things I found was that there are kind of three levels of issues that are dealt with that kind of intersect with decentralization. One is uh, how policy is made, what policies are made at the national level uh, versus at the local level. Another is how projects are approved, and a third is resource management. And in Indonesia in particular, during the time of, I call it the gray period, where it wasn't clear what the roles were going to be, you had a lot of power grabbing. Regardless of what the law said or the policy said, whether it was clear or unclear, in practice, people looked to their local government. Uh, they looked to the go- local government to manage their resources, or they took it upon themselves and said, these are our resources. Mm. So you have conflict that's created over, over resources. You have conflicting policies, uh, if they're written down or not. And then, uh, depending on what the law says, there, there can be a uh, slowdown of project approvals. What happened in Indonesia was the local government said, We're, we want to approve tariffs when it's normally a very technocratic activity at the national level. So they were approving tariffs that were below cost, and it, the projects couldn't be built. Tiernan, I know you've talked about um, wanting to avoid technocratic processes. You want to speak to that? Yeah, sure. Um, the the process of decentralization is, um, you know, an extremely relevant uh, and and complicated topic in many countries that that includes the energy sector, but also beyond. Um, where Apt is is working on a project in Nepal at the moment. Nepal is uh, has just uh, started a new is creating a new federal system where they're devolving powers from a previous central government to a series of, of provinces or states. Um, and it's in that great period that Dana talked about in Nepal that Indonesia had where the obligations and rights aren't still, aren't yet clearly defined um, at the local government level. Um, a lot of that is still being developed. And one of the major sticking points in Nepal, as it sounds like it was in Indonesia, is around natural resource management. Who has ownership over natural resources that go into energy development, uh, who controls, manages those natural resources, 
um, and then who benefits and in what form. And, and so, for example, natural gas extraction is that natural gas uh, be owned and managed by the local government or is it owned and managed by the central government as it was before. And that whole process of decentralization raises a lot of expectations by communities, um, raises expectations by new local government figures that they're going to have greater say, but then also receive more benefits of natural resources and energy development, which is not always the case. It depends on how the law is defined, um, but it also depends on, on, on the practice. And so I think the decentralization process is particularly tricky within energy development and I think in other public services. Um, and within that, it's, it's important to realize that, you know, there's people at stake and communities that will be impacted and to not just rely on the technocratic solutions that this is you know, kind of the best policy or the best formula for resource sharing, um, but to also ensure that there's a deliberative process with the communities and with people that are involved. And so you're strengthening governance more generally while also looking to provide, um, you know, greater access to energy. Do we leverage, you know, energy work to help implement governance or vice versa? What do you think? Well, I think, I think if you have poor governance and poor relations between citizen and state, um, then throwing in, you know, lots of resources or opportunities for you know, developing, you know, lucrative natural resource extraction can undermine, can further the poor governance, can actually exacerbate governance. Um, and so I think you need to be careful in those situations that, um, you know, that you're not making governance more complicated or less transparent or accountable. And so that's one of the things we, you know, look at at APT is, is, is this kind of cross-sectoral approach and always making sure that work we're doing um, in any sector strengthens accountability strengthens governance um, as part of it so that we're not you know, creating new power dynamics uh, or creating new vulnerable populations, exacerbating any, any power imbalances. I would agree. Uh, uh, countries with extractive industries usually have the worst governance, and it's, it's because people are, are vying for the, the benefits that come from, from exploiting those resources, and that's particularly true in oil and gas. I would say, to build on what you said, that governance is actually pretty critical. In other words, some of the biggest barriers to developing private investment, besides just the fact if it's not legal, <laughs> is clarity on the approval processes, even if it's written down. But there's often a power play between local and, and national government. And, and, of course, in many parts of the world, um, if it's large infrastructure like hydro or geothermal, uh, the, the local community becomes really, really important. Uh, the, role, the technocratic role is to make sure that you do balance the interests of different stakeholders. It's just, are you talking about national level or local level? And we were involved in a process, in, again, in Indonesia, just because I was there a long time, where we were looking at uh, removing subsidies and who benefits and who's losing uh, from those subsidies. Many of them were designed to not benefit. They really didn't benefit the people they were intended to benefit. And, and the reason governance becomes so important is that it can inhibit investment. 
And you have to take into account, are the investors going to get their return, right? So you do need that technocratic approach, but if you don't look at it within the context, it can just hold up investment for years and years. Kieran, do you want to speak to what Dana just said? You know, about that need, need that technocratic element, but. Yeah, I mean, obviously you need the, the technocratic part, you know, from the, the standpoint of the sector, the energy sector, and, and what works. Um, uh, you know, but I think I think all this is operating within the context of the governing structure of any country or, or society. And so, you know, does that country have good procurement regulations? Does it have... Um, you know, good, a good procurement process, including oversight to ensure accountability and, and to fight corruption. And so, you know, a lot of that, a lot of the, the energy process, you know, energy, energy investment happens within that larger governance context. And so, you know, so for example, in countries that are ripe of corruption, you know, every single public investment is an opportunity for, for, for corruption or for rent seeking. And so ensuring that a country has internal controls, audits, corruption, prosecution, um, and even functioning courts all help make up the landscape of, of whether there's you know, accountable governance that can support um, you know, positive, inclusive development. I would agree with that. I think it is important to look at governance when you want to reform the energy sector. And uh, I don't know if I would say lead with it. I would say co-create with it. For our USAID friends, uh, we're using that term literally. Uh, because uh, it's often thought of only at the national level, uh, what's worked, say, in Eastern Europe, you know, where you have certain institutions and you assume it's all going to work out. But my experience has been that um, if, if we don't deal with the governance issues, whatever they are, whether it's decentralization, whether it's how you deal with corruption, whether it's your courts, it will be a huge impediment to actually developing the energy sector. It's um, who decides, how do they decide. If, if you can't attract investors or they don't feel like their um, contracts are going to be uh, honored or that they can make a fair return, you're just not going to have the kind of development that you need. Yeah, I think one of the things we, we struggle, you know, in, in terms of governance, it's a very broad term and it's often um, you know, hard to define. So I think one of the things we, we really try to do at APT is, is work in a sector like energy and look at um, some of the more tangible impacts that governance has in that sector. And so get at governance not as a kind of conceptual idea, but as a tangible um, part of achieving energy or other sectoral outcomes. And so in that sense, you can really, you know, use an important area. You know, everybody wants energy, anybody, everybody wants access to electricity. Um, and then you, you can say, well, what are the barriers to that? And from that, um, enter into governance issues, um, perhaps a little more tangibly, such as, you know, procurement process or, or is there corruption or is it a capacity issue? Is it a commitment issue? Um, you can look at policy development from an energy standpoint. And so really kind of concretize um, um, what you mean by governance and, and what approaches are effective. So given complementary energy and governance goals, uh, how might we collaborate to create that governance framework that enables you know, egalitarian energy development or use those egalitarian energy development goals to inform a, a governance program? 
Well, there, there, there's some that are maybe more traditional approaches, uh, meaning that you might find some people doing it and others that might be not tried much. So, for example, when you are uh, building the capacity of a regulator so that you have the right kinds of questions being asked and the balancing between the public good and the private sector, that's, that's a regulator's role, that you have um, a... Me. <laughs> you have a, a stakeholder process that's been well designed that is intended to uh, obtain input from all the correct stakeholders or all the appropriate stakeholders that is well the the input is respected and taken into account uh, so I think stakeholder involvement um, is really critical and that's especially important in electricity infrastructure uh, so, I, you know, that I think is really important when you're dealing with regulation. Less traditional uh, is, um, for example, in Laos, they have a very centralized system uh, where uh, the local government has a lot of control. I mean, the, sorry, the national government has a lot of control over the local government. And you may not have a lot of dissent, so decisions are made. But... Because the people at the local level aren't having a say, it's not good governance, they'll find ways to sabotage it, right? And so that's where activities that might not be traditionally thought of as part of an energy program, where maybe you do a political economy assessment or to understand who's influencing what. It was the same, actually, that was the same in Nigeria. You, the local government didn't officially have a say, but if you wanted to get a project done, you were going to have to mm. make friends and actually let the local uh, governor invest. It's, it was broadly talked about as corruption, but it basically plays out in land, who has access to the land, who owns the land, how do people get permission to build the projects, whether it's a government entity or a private entity. And uh, those issues of governance become really important. Tiernan, what do you think? Yeah, I think I think that's that's important. I mean, there's, there's a few things we do. Um, App does on, on on governance when we're working in sectoral projects, and one of them Dana talked a bit about, which is political economy analysis and, and constantly analyzing the political um, dynamics. Um, you know, whether it's a decentralization between levels of government, or it's between ministries, um, or if there's been a new election. So constantly analyzing. Um, the political context um, through various tools, um, not just doing it at the beginning of the project, but but kind of baking it in throughout as an iterative process. So that's that's definitely one thing that that we focus on. It's called thinking and working politically is the kind of name of of the concept and, and the theory behind it. Um, and it's something that we integrate into our projects constantly testing assumptions, testing our theories of change, um, and doing it through a kind of politically savvy um, mechanism. So we're not just operating in a vacuum, we're operating within a very complex uh, political landscape. Obviously, these are often seen as two different processes, but it sounds like we would benefit from, as you say, Dana, co-creating the solutions in these arenas. Is that fair to say? Um, I would say yes. I think we should be co-creating. Uh, that's not often done. So um, I think if if we would uh, co-create programs where we look at the underlying governance issues behind the, um, the technical issues we're addressing, that uh, it, it would be really critical. Um, I, I think, from my perspective in the energy sector, 
if we don't address the governance issues, uh, whether it's stakeholder involvement, whether it's, as Kieran mentioned, local and national governments' uh, roles, we're not going to achieve the kind of objectives we have for um, a transparent and uh, equitable sector that's achieving the objectives of energy security or environmental soundness. I, I agree that, that co-creation um, around this topic is, is important, it's critical. And so a lot of that is ensuring that there is um, accountability, um, that there's participation at the individual community level um, you know, in implementation, and including monitoring and enforcement. Some of the best monitoring um, comes from the local level. So ensuring that that voice feeds into accountability efforts. And then also at the policy level, um, that there is that deliberative space for communities and stakeholders, um, users, um, you know, people who depend on the environment for, for their livelihoods, to be able to come to the table and have their voices heard in the policy process. Well, it sounds like there's an opportunity for us to make an even bigger impact if we can bring this governance expertise to bear to help us bring our energy expertise to bear. And that's what I like to call an intersect. Thank you both for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And thank you for joining us at The Intersect. Dana and I were recorded live at App Studio One in Rockville, Maryland. Turn and join us by phone. 